we'll go ahead and open our Bibles this morning again to Genesis chapter 7. And the last time that we were together, we took a look at chapter 7, but we only covered verse 1, and then we spent the majority of that study uh, talking about the topic of righteousness. And that teaching is available on our website and is titled A Study on Righteousness, if you feel so inclined to listen to it, or even better yet, share it with others that you know. But verse 1 of Genesis chapter 7 here says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So again, we see that Noah gets invited into the ark, and we see the reason why he got invited into the ark. And as we talked about the last time we were together, we know that for you and me today, Jesus is our righteousness. And it is he and he alone that has provided the way for us to have eternal life. Jesus, in that sense, is the door, the way in which we can enter into salvation. It takes righteousness to get to salvation, as it did with Noah, but none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. So God provided the way through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But this is what the ark symbolizes for us today. But with our last study, we came to understand from the scriptures the importance of walking in righteousness. We are not, again, we're not made righteous by our own efforts, but having been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now to walk through the rest of our lives seeking after Him and placing Him first as the top priority in our lives and desiring to live righteous lives, right? Desiring to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Desiring to follow His commands that we see in His Word and to live in accordance with the Bible, the Word of God. Because He has offered His grace to all so that all can be saved And when you have received that grace, when a person receives that grace, we're then to walk in a different way, in a newness of life. We've been born again and we walk in righteousness. And before moving on from this topic of righteousness, I'd like to point out um, to you again a scripture found in the book of Titus chapter 2. So mark this page and turn all the way toward the back of your Bible and look uh, look for Titus chapter 2. Again, as always, if you find one book that begins with the letter T, they're all kind of bunched together, so Titus isn't too far away. Titus chapter 2. Again, I know the last time we were together, we, we talked quite a, quite a bit on the topic of righteousness. And just before we move on, I just want to Drive, drive this point home a little bit more. And in Titus chapter 2, down in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke 
with all authority. Let no one despise you. You see, I don't shy away from the topic of righteousness or the topic of holiness because we are to exhort one another in this, to live in a godly manner, right? To deny worldly lust. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're to exhort one another to live in this way, right? Why? Because, well, Jesus gave his life to redeem us from that sinful way of living, right? It is his desire for us that we should, as it says there, be his own special people that are zealous for good works. We spent enough time in the past in sin when we were without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but when we come to that knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's, it's a different way of life at that point, right? So now we are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we are to look for his glorious appearing as we're told there in verse 13. Just so, so with that, we'll turn back now to Genesis chapter 7. Again, we, talked, we, we saw that Noah was brought onto the boat and it was because of his righteousness, right? He was brought onto the ark. But now we'll go ahead and, and move on. Genesis chapter 7, verse 2. We'll see that God's going to, or Noah's going to receive further instructions from God as to what to do with the ark. And verse 2 says, You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also, seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. Okay, so for me, a question pops up here, and that is, how did Noah get a hold of all these animals? How did he get them all together to get into the ark? And the answer is actually very simply provided for us. If we look back at Genesis chapter 6, if you just look back there at verse 20, Genesis chapter 6, verse 20, it says there, of the birds of of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. So that's why I say it's very simple. That's how the animals got to the ark for Noah to bring them in. They simply came to him. God made it happen. Is it hard to believe that the God that created the animals can control their whereabouts whereabouts, or dictate where they go, right? He simply put it in them to migrate to the ark. You know, they say that before that great tsunami that hit in 2004 at the Indian Ocean, the first sign that something was strange was when all the animals took off before it hit and went to higher ground. All the animals took off, right? And they didn't realize that right away, but they realized that afterwards people said, we noticed they all took off. They went to higher ground, right? So again, it's not hard to believe with the ark that God simply put it in the animals that he created to migrate to Noah's ark to go ahead and get on. After all, God has a grand plan in all this. And we saw that he wants to keep these species alive. So he told Noah to do this, right? And um, verse 4 of chapter 7, back in chapter 7, verse 4, For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth 
40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. Now, we know that the number seven is a number of perfection, right, or completeness in the Bible. It it symbolizes in the Bible that God is finished with something or something is coming to an end, right? He said seven more days and there's going to be seven more days and then this rain and this rain's coming on the earth for that seven days, right? But what about the number 40? Because it rained 40 days and for 40 nights. Well, the number 40 is mentioned 146 times in the Bible. And a real good tool to find out that kind of stuff is blueletterbible.com. Blueletterbible.com, you can punch a word in and it tells you how many times that word is used in the Bible and it brings up every time that it is used. It's a good study tool. But some examples of this number 40, right? Moses lived 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in the desert before God selected him to lead his people out of slavery. He was also on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights on two separate occasions receiving God's laws. He also sent spies for 40 days to investigate the land that God promised the Israelites as an inheritance. And the book of Exodus is 40 chapters long. Okay, And the prophet Jonah warned ancient Nineveh for 40 days that its destruction would come because of its many sins. He warned them for 40 days. Ezekiel laid on his right hand, right side, the prophet Ezekiel, he laid on his right side for 40 days to symbolize to Judah their sins. Elijah went 40 days without food and water. Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He also appeared to his disciples and others for 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. So the number 40 seems to represent a time of testing. And it's interesting to me that God used 40 different authors to give us our Bibles as we now wait for the coming of the Lord. Because this is our time. This is our time of testing. Our time of, are you going to be ready? The Lord is coming. There's a warning. And God has given us that throughout His Word, right? So then verse 7 tells us though, so Noah with his sons and his wife and his son's wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. So we've seen it mentioned twice here in this chapter so far about clean and unclean animals. What is a clean animal and what is an unclean animal? Well, first of all, God had Noah take seven of each clean animal and only two of each unclean animal. We saw that back in verse 2, right? Well, if you were to go and study the book of Leviticus, which I'm not going to get into it today with you, we'll be there in some months ahead, right? But if you were to go look at Leviticus chapter 11, It there defines the differences between clean and unclean animals. So this is when God gave the law to the children of Israel. But Noah, 
He lives before the giving of the law, didn't he? And we're not told here in Genesis how Noah knew which animals were clean and which were unclean, but he obviously somehow knew the difference. And if you were to look back into uh, Genesis chapter 4, you can go ahead and look back there. Genesis chapter 4, we see an example of something here in Abel. We studied it some weeks back, Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. Abel also... Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. If you remember, we studied that. So you see, even before God established what we know of as the law, the Mosaic law, right? There were still animal sacrifices that were offered to God that were considered acceptable before God. So somehow God had communicated this to mankind even before the written law that you'll find in Leviticus. But we're just not told in the Bible how God communicated it to them at that time, the clean and the unclean animals. So we really don't know how Noah knew about it, but we knew that mankind knew, right? In Leviticus chapter 11, again, it defines for us which birds, uh, which land animals, which sea creatures were clean and unclean. Some examples of this found in Leviticus chapter 7 are clean animals are land animals that do not chew the cud and have divided hoof such as cattle, deer, goats, and sheep. You'll find that in Leviticus chapter 11. Chew the cud means to regurgitate the food of the stomach and then chew it again, right? Kind of gross to think about, right? So again, clean animals are land animals that do not chew the cud and have a divided hoof, such as cattle, deer, goats, and sheep. Okay? Clean animals are also defined as seafood with both fins and scales. Okay? Certain birds, including chickens, doves, and ducks, and even some insects, such as grasshoppers and locusts, are all counted as clean animals. This is in, again, I'm just giving you a a highlight of Leviticus chapter 11. Unclean animals in Leviticus include land animals that either do not chew the cud or do not have a split hoof like pigs, dogs, cats, horses, donkeys, and rats, right? Seafood lacking either fins or scales such as shellfish, lobsters, oysters, catfish, some birds, some owls, hawks, Uh, vultures and other animals like reptiles and amphibians, right? Um, They're the unclean animals. But now the clean animals in the law were suited for eating and the unclean animals were not suited for eating. Now, all that being said, we today know that we are under New Testament Christianity. That was the law. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. So we don't have all these dietary laws today that they were under during that time. So the the New Testament teaches us that we're no longer to judge regarding the foods we eat. Uh, For example, Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 says, let no one judge you in food and drink. In other words, what you food, what you eat or what you drink, let no one judge you for that, right? But in the Old Testament, God established a law with the children of Israel, and he distinguished between clean and unclean animals to teach his people to be holy. That's what he was really teaching them, to be holy, to be set apart, and to worship the one true God, to be devoted to God. 
The people of the Old Testament knew that God had set apart clean animals for their diet, and those clean animals were also to be used for sacrifice as well. So therefore, it would only make sense to have more uh, animals that were unclean on the ark, more clean animals, I should say, on the ark than there were unclean, right? We saw he had them take seven of each kind, male, female, of the clean, and then two of the unclean. Why? Because he was going to set up a sacrifice. There was going to need to be more of those animals on the earth. They were going to be used in their worship. They were going to, plus they were going to be used for their diet, for their diet, right? For eating, right? And we will find when we get to Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 that Noah made a sacrifice immediately after the flood, right? So since seven of every clean animal was on the ark, the, the sacrifices would still have left three pairs to begin replenishing the earth with. So all of what we are seeing makes total logical sense here in Genesis. But remember, today we're not under any law any longer. We can eat whatever we want. All things are permissible. However, the Apostle Paul said not all things are beneficial. Okay? That's something to keep in mind, right? There, there's no law from God any longer as to what we can eat or what not to eat, but, is, but everything's not good for us to eat. We do have knowledge to know that, right? We know what's good for our bodies and what's bad for our bodies. But when it comes to spiritual matters, don't put yourself back under what the New Testament calls a yoke of bondage, right? By thinking that your eating will make you holy. And there are many religions out there today and many people out there today that do judge spiritually based on eating. You know, they say you, you have to eat just this, this, and this, or you shouldn't eat that, or whatever it may be. But again, keep in mind as we're going through the Old Testament, we're going to see a lot of Old Testament law. We're going to see a lot of things that don't apply to us anymore today based on what we see in the New Testament. Because we're New Testament Christians, and it's now all about Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled the law for us, okay? Okay. So back in Genesis chapter 7 and picking it up in verse 10, and it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So you see two things there. The fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open, right? So a couple things we can deduce out of that. For one, we know from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 7 that uh, it said, Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now, I know it's been a while since we studied Genesis chapter 1, but if you remember when we studied it, we talked about how the firmament is the sky above us. What we refer to, another term, people refer to it as the heavens, where the birds fly in the heavens, right? And above, above that, at the time of creation, there were waters above the sky. And this helped back then to keep the, per, keep the earth at a perfect temperature. There was what you could call a greenhouse effect, 
right? Thus the reason that everything could grow so perfectly in the garden. And when God made everything, remember, he made everything good and everything was perfect for them. But when the judgment came and it rained upon the earth for the first time, the windows of heaven were opened, it says. But the other thing that we see there in Genesis 7 is that the, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. So what are the fountains of the great deep? Well, it's been discovered by scientists in recent years that there are indeed fountains in the ocean and in the depths of the earth's crust as well, right? And we have geysers, right, that show us, you know, um, how pressurized this water really is under the earth. If you'll also remember uh, back in an earlier study of Genesis, we saw where God made the, the dry land appear from beneath the water, and he then gathered together the seas, okay? And it's possible then that as this dry land rose up, that all the water went down, that the water had to go somewhere, so it went beneath the earth's crust and is still under there, under great pressure, for all these years. And about 10 years ago, a dairy farmer nearby here, um, down on um, Elliott, it's the, called the Van Rijn Dairy, I think, they dug a hole in the ground and they found there was a, a river rushing beneath his property right here around Power and Elliott Road, that just this river's rushing under there. And you know that kind of thing is amazing, what's under our ground that we don't even know about. Of course, men have dug up the earth and we know, but the point is, is there were fountains of the great deep. So it wasn't just the rain that flooded the earth, it was the fountains of the great deep being broken up as well that helped to flood the earth, right? So regarding the rain though, verse 12 tells us, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So the people of the earth, right, and the earth itself was being judged just as God promised it would be. But keep in mind here that this wasn't an all-of-a-sudden event. It took seven days for all of this water to flood the earth. But with the rain falling from, the, from above and the water from beneath, the, the fountains of the deep being broken up, people are trying to run and find higher, higher ground, I'm sure, as this water's filling the earth. But remember, though, keep in mind that it took Noah many years to build this ark. And all the time while he was doing this, he was preaching repentance. And he was giving people a warning. This was coming. This was coming. So it's not like, oh, God, what are you doing to us with this flood, all this water? What are you doing? No, you've been told. You've been warned what was coming, right? Just as many people are warned today as it pertains to the gospel that is preached and the fact that Jesus is coming and the fact that there will be a final judgment upon this earth. People are warned even today and people had warnings in the days of Noah's ark as well. Verse 13 continues, On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Okay, so notice all of these men had only one wife. 
and these people were counted as righteous. The sin of big, bigamy would increase at a later time on the earth. But anyway, they get into the ark here, and verse 14 continues. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So the Lord himself closes the door. It wasn't Noah's responsibility to close the door on anybody's salvation. It's not my responsibility, nor is it your responsibility to close the door on anyone else's salvation either. God, by His mercy, by His grace, by His love, can reach out to people. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, it says that Jesus is the Holy One who opens and no one shuts, and who shuts and no one opens. That's the responsibility of Jesus. Salvation is open to all, and the Lord keeps the door open like He did with Noah's Ark. He keeps the door open till the last possible minute. Because the Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? But as was the case with Noah's Ark, so is the case today. There's one way, and there's one way only to salvation. And there's one door, and one door only. And today, Jesus is that door. So verse 17 says, Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So just in case you were wondering, not all of the animals that were on the face of the earth were saved and put on the ark, right? Only the ones that God wanted on the ark were kept safe. From those animals, many other animals would be produced or bred, if you will, upon the face of the earth that we have today, right? Another point of note here is that not all humans are saved either, right? Only those that got on the ark were saved. Again, this may sound redundant, but Jesus is the ark for humans today to be able to escape from judgment. So not everybody that dies is saved. We like to think they are. We'd like to think good thoughts about people we know, people we love. But if you don't come to Jesus, if you don't come to that ark of salvation, then there is no salvation. So not all humans will be saved because they choose not to be. They choose not to come to Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Because that's the only way to salvation. So those feet are beautiful because they're taking the answer. They're taking eternal life to people and they're giving them the only hope that they have, right? 
Verse 23 continues and says that God tells us that God destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So we see a picture here as we look at Noah's ark. It's exactly the situation that we're under today. Jesus even commented on this this period of time and said, as it was in the days of Noah, right? People were going about their daily lives. They weren't thinking about salvation. They weren't thinking about the coming judgment. They weren't thinking about any of that, but it was happening and it was coming. And as those waters began to to fill up on the earth from the fountains of the great deep being broken and the rain falling on the earth, people were still wondering what's going on and probably still going about their daily lives. We don't really know. We we weren't there during that time. But the truth of the matter is, is we do have a warning today. And we do have the gospel message. And we do know from the scriptures that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. He is the only way that we can get saved. So there's a lot to learn from Noah's Ark. And like I said before, there's a lot to learn when we gather and worship in the songs that we sing. You know, there's so much that fills the pages of Scripture. And, and I, as I always do, I want to exhort you guys to study the Word of God for yourself. You know, don't let just one man or one Bible teacher anywhere teach you everything and just take what they say as if, you know, because we're all fallible. We can all fall short. There are mistakes that I might make as I teach, but what you need to do is, the Bible says, study the Word of God for yourself, right? You're supposed to, to study to show yourself approved unto God, okay? So I don't want, as a pastor, I don't want to build a following. As a pastor, I want to point people to Jesus Christ. And the only way we can know the truth of God is through studying the Word of God. So, I'm just pointing all this out to you because as we read through this, there's, there's so much that you can take from Genesis and you could tie it into the New Testament, tie it into Revelation, tie it into the, the, the gospel messages. And you go back and forth through the whole Bible and tie it all together till you get the full picture and you see the full thing. So we're going to stop here for today and we'll pick up our study next week in chapter 8. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, again... We thank you for this time in your word. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, that you continue a work that you have begun in us. For your word says that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Lord, we can't begin works in the hearts of each other, Lord. Only by your spirit can this be done. Only by your spirit, Lord, can can we come to the knowledge of you. And only by your spirit, Lord, can we understand what life really is and what the true meaning of life is all about. So I pray, Lord, that we will grow as worshipers, that we will grow in our spiritual being, Lord, that, Lord, that this world will not distract us from the truth of who you are and your will for our lives, Lord, that the things of this world will begin to grow strangely dim, Lord, in the light of you. Lord, as we turn our eyes upon you more and more through this life, 
Lord, that your will would be done and that you would use us, Lord, that you would empower us to be a light to others around us, Lord, a light of your love, that we can let people know of your truth and let people know who you are. We ask that you would empower us to do so. We thank you for this day of life. We ask your blessing upon the coming week. And we pray your will be done in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.